scripted like they or whatever the thing is they clearly had talked about like have you heard about uh you know i don't know whatever new balance such and such or x y and it's like oh yeah and then tony makes a joke about canada waves a flag around something <laughs> <laughs> so yeah definitely uh, i've always t- taken some inspiration for the video show from that show um and then the audio show like, like you said you listen to levitard i'm a big uh, kirk minahan fan he's on barstool sports yeah so i'm a big fan of his um good deal What's going on, everybody? I have a co-host here, new co-host. It seems like I have a new one every other episode. Uh, we're going to introduce you to him in just a second. But first, let's kick things off with our video. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. Welcome to Infinity Sports, everybody. I am Wayne G. I am actually joined today by Parker Ainsworth. He is the head of the basketball writing department over at Belly Up Sports, and he has his own show, FN Sports. Check that out. But Parker, I was curious if you wanted to talk a little bit about your show and kind of what that's about. Yeah, um, Shaka and I host a show called FN Sports, like F, like the letter F, because we're two teachers grading sports topics or theses as we go. We do a couple uh, theses each week. Episode comes out each Monday. You can check it out. I just dropped today, actually, this morning. Uh, we, I also, like I said, write for about the NBA, senior NBA writer, and you know, technically a Rockets beat guy, uh, you know, for what that's worth, which some weeks we have a lot of news, I guess, uh, with Belly Up. And then I also am writing some about fantasy basketball and other things throughout the site if you want to check me out um but i'm excited to be here this is a fun fun podcast to be a part of yeah i'm excited to have you on uh definitely kind of wish Soli was here because he loves the astros and i mean that sarcastically <laughs> <laughs> most people love the astros too. <laughs> i actually do really love the astros um because and me and him have had multiple debates online and offline about the whole trash can banging and things like that and, and my whole thing is this if you're not tr- cheating, you're not trying is the whole thing. And maybe it's because I'm a Patriots fan, but, just, <laughs> but you got to be trying, you know? <laughs> exactly. The Patriots are funny connection. Um, all right. So obviously you guys are watching the show. If you are watching or listening, downloading or streaming, we certainly appreciate it. Obviously you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher, as well as Amazon music. You can find a replay of the video show on YouTube. We are live twice a week, Mondays at 7 p.m. and Saturdays at 11 a.m. We are part of the Belly Up Sports Network, so check us out. Support the network, support the show. You can also find us on social media. That is Infinity Sports Podcast on Facebook, Infinity Sports Podcast on Instagram, and at Sports Infinity 5 on Twitter. Now, you can visit the website, www.infinitysportspodcast.com, and they'll take you to all those links as well as to our store. You can get Failure is a Choice apparel as well as infinity sports apparel you can see lebron rocks it tom brady rocks it i mean why wouldn't you want to rock it right (laughs) yeah if it makes you never age like those two i mean (laughs) uh let's see the first comment in uh, is sully actually kind of watch the show hey you so what's going on (laughs) sully Uh, glad you could join us uh and i'm sure you'll have some takes uh as we go through some of these topics i did mention to uh, parker that we'll be talking a little bit of soccer later on in the show um Kind of a big show. We do have some soccer to talk about, NCAA football, NFL football, NBA basketball, all kinds of stuff. But obviously, first things first, let's get to the news. The news is brought to you by Invader Coffee. This is a big supporter of the network and the show as well. It is 100% organic, 100% air roasted. You have 100% money back guarantee if you purchase it. You don't like it. 
and it is veteran owned. So you enter the code belly up, you get 15% off your entire order, no matter how much you order. And I know Sully really enjoys his coffee. Uh, Parker, are you a coffee drinker? Have you tried this stuff? Coffee drinker, it's good stuff. I'll also shout out. So I was born in Houston, spent a lot of time growing up in Austin, and it's an Austin-owned company too. It's a cool group. Yeah. Uh, I don't drink coffee, so I just take your guys' word for it. <laughs> um, I'm a diet soda guy. I'm, I'm like hooked on diet soda. Uh, first bit of news we have is soccer news. I mentioned it. FIFA, uh, FC Barcelona, Lionel Messi. This has been going on for a little bit of time. They're, they're kind of souring on the relationship, and now – they're saying they're giving him an extra long vacation. He doesn't have to show up and practice with the team or play in their next game because he's quote unquote healing an ankle. And I'm curious with the transfer window opening up on January 4th, if this is something where they're just looking to move him to PSG, which has been the long standing rumor. Well, I think that makes a lot of sense. Cause I mean, why would you travel, especially in like a COVID 2020 time? Like, why are you bring extra bodies around while you're on the road traveling if you're potentially going to dump them off in the near future? The PSG thing is fun because they're one of realistically only a handful of teams that could pay to get him, right? Yeah, well, that in the British Premier League, because there was talk about Manchester City uh, a little while back. I think I guess they had a deal in place with Manchester City, but I think it just fell through for one reason or another. He didn't want to go there. Or his dad, I think, is like his agent. His dad was like, no, my son's not going there. But I think that he is uh, keen to play at PSG, particularly because he'd be playing with Neymar, who was his teammate at FC Barcelona, uh, Kylian Mbappe, one of the best young players in the country. And they're talking about bringing Deli Ali from the Tottenham Hotspurs, which would basically make PSG uh, obviously a world powerhouse. Yeah, well, and they're, you know, they have a lot of fun faces. It's a big brand right now. And it, you know, being like the face of French football, it'd be a, it'd be a fun team to follow and Messi shares the ball a lot that's that's more fun that way too and while we're talking about soccer and huge soccer names another name that might be on the move is Cristiano Ronaldo it was reported recently that he is not happy about his name being mentioned with Manchester United even though that's where he began his career Manchester United and uh, Juventus are possibly talking about moving Paul Pogba to Juventus and they're very keen to get him but it would involve uh, Cristiano Ronaldo going back to the Premier League, back to Manchester United. And I don't think it's so much that he doesn't like Man U. I think it has more to do with the fact he doesn't like the idea of being traded after you know signing this big contract with Juventus. Right. And I, you know, maybe it's because he's really, really good looking. I don't think Cristiano Ronaldo has gotten stuff that didn't go his way very often. So if he doesn't, like, I'm sure he would like some more say in wherever he has, he wants to go, but that's the life being traded. That's the way it is. I guess, I mean, it definitely brings a big name to Manchester United. And I remember uh, a few years ago, there was talk about uh, Cristiano Ronaldo going to China to play for a team there. They had reportedly offered him something like $300 million for two years or three years, something like that. I mean, the soccer money in Europe, it's, you know, the whole idea of a non-salary cap thing. It's all super, super crazy, right? And he's the face of an international sport like no other, so... I do wonder where the money comes to align because you're a basketball guy, and I'm sure you remember uh, the reports a couple years ago or so, three years ago, LeBron James to Greece playing for uh, the Greece <laughs> team or whatever it was. And they had offered him, again, something like you know $75 million a year or $50 million right. a year or something. And he turned it down to play in the NBA because that's where all the best players play. But is there enough money to make you pass up playing in the best league? I mean, me personally, <laughs> um, I would take half of it to play anywhere. But what I will say is that, like, I think there's got to be some supply demand line. There's also this element of like kids don't grow up as basketball players wanting to go play all over the world. Kids from all over the world want to grow up playing in the NBA because the nature of it right now, whereas soccer doesn't have that. Right. There's several big time leagues. There's always new and growing this, that and the other from all over the world. And so. Maybe Ronaldo thinks he can go blow up this Chinese league, or maybe he thought, right? He could blow up this Chinese league and make it huge. Whereas I don't think that, I mean, we've literally got the best player Greece has ever produced playing in the NBA right now, right? Like, I don't think that's that that's vice versa happening with basketball. Right. And I think that they would love to kind of become more of a world stage, almost like, you know, with soccer, United States is that Greece team, you know? Nobody's <laughs> coming to play in the MLS if you're a superstar. You're playing in the Premier right. League, you're playing in La Liga and League One and so on, uh, the Bundesliga, you're not playing in the United States. But all it takes is one. Like if we could get a Lionel Messi or a Cristiano Ronaldo to come to the MLS, pay him whatever, $100 million a year, whatever it is, you would attract more stars to the United States, and that's how you grow the league. Now maybe Greece was shooting a little high with LeBron James. <laughs> you know, they should have started a little bit lower. Well, but, uh, intuitively, they, you do need to get them when they're like in their prime ready to go because th- – 
U.S. and the MLS in that example has gotten older guys, right? Like it's, it's right. you want the prime, you want the best, of the best at their best. But um, from you know uh, European football to American football, uh, the college football playoff is coming up. Uh, a lot of controversy surrounding this. Obviously, the first uh, couple games. Well, before we get to the playoff, the game before the playoff, we have Oklahoma and Florida is playing on the thirtieth, and these are two teams that could have possibly been in the playoff instead of Ohio State, who only played six games. You know, but whatever they're going to play, I think that should be a good game. Uh, my money would be on Florida just because they're from the SEC, and I just feel like that's the best league. <laughs> I so I look at that game and I think like, man, that could be one of those like fifty to fifty-five type of games. Oklahoma's defense was better down the stretch of the year than they were at the beginning, but that's not saying a lot. Florida obviously has all the offensive weapons going pro. Like you talked about, all the points they put up in the SEC. Um, I don't know that either one has big marquee wins. You know, maybe you say that Florida beat a Georgia team. Georgia isn't as good as they've been in the past, but there is still Georgia. And then Oklahoma, you could be like, you know, they won the Big 12, even if the Big 12's down this year. So I I just feel like that's going to be a fun game to watch as fans, or, you know, at least as a fan of offensive football, because it's going to be, like I said, over 100 points. And I Florida might edge it out with Trask at the end, but Spencer Rattler's a good young quarterback too. What do you think about uh, Ohio State getting in with only six games played? So Shock and I had a thesis, had a, a whole podcast episode about the college football playoff. I think my bigger thing is I'm really not a fan when there are only four teams making the playoffs, especially in a year where you've got no pre, pre-conference season games between conferences. I don't like the idea of having two teams from the same conference. So the Ohio State didn't bug me as much. I wish the Big Ten hadn't bent rules to let them in the Big Ten championship game, right? That's a different topic, I guess. But I, I my problem was that we have two ACC teams all of a sudden in when, I, you know, if Clemson's going to beat Notre Dame that bad, what's Alabama going to do? Um, and if you're going to take out one of them, I might have leaned on Notre Dame, but I'm sure I'm drawing a lot of Catholic and Irish and Indiana people ire right there. But I, I, I just, that would have been my call. It's weird because Notre Dame is usually independent and doesn't matter, but that would that would have been my call there. And then Ohio State did win the Big Ten. I would say that they shouldn't have let them play. They should have let Indiana play Northwestern or or whatever that may be. But I I'm not horribly against the school because like the Big Ten did try and do things like we're going to try and do the wait and see approach on safety and see how it goes. And so I'd ha- I'd feel bad punishing people trying to do it safe by not letting them in. Um, well, that, that's my question. I know you said two ACC teams, and you mentioned it, that Notre Dame's usually independent. Uh, if They only joined the ACC this year because they were looking for a team to play, a conference to play in so they could play enough games. And theoretically, if they don't join the ACC, if COVID doesn't happen, we're talking about a team that's 11-0, 12-0, not 11-1, because they don't play that ACC championship game and lose to Clemson. Right, and, and truthfully, they're 11-0, and since they don't see Clemson with Trevor Lawrence, you have nothing to go on besides the game without him i just we got to see them playing with him too like (laughs) the hypothetical is fair and i think next year if i guess ian books graduating off but i think next year you know you could very well have the same thing turn around when they go back to being independent i also you know shock and i were on the train all year about which of the little school you know i would have loved to see a cincinnati would have loved to see byu i guess lost the one game to coast carolina or coast carolina uh you know one of these smaller schools get a shot finally just because that's fun because I think Notre Dame is going to get run over by Alabama. And if someone's going to get run over Alabama, it might as well be someone different of fun. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that's just, you know, my opinion on the deal. Um, Cincinnati making it in and Ohio State not making it in would have been weird in that state, though. Really weird. And uh, I agree with you that it would be fun. But like you said, if Notre Dame would get steamrolled by Alabama, you're going to put Cincinnati up against Alabama. I mean, it's probably going to be 52 to nothing or 52 to three. It's just we got a team full of future NFL players versus maybe a team that has one. <laughs> well, yeah, but I, w- I mean, before we count our chickens, let's make sure they don't do Notre Dame 52 to nothing. <laughs> uh, I don't think they will. I mean, I know that they ha- they struggled against Cle- uh, Clemson with, uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence, but it wasn't even Trevor Lawrence. I don't think that made the biggest difference. And I talked to Sully about this a few episodes ago after the game happened. You look at that first game and Notre Dame had held Travis at the end to 18 carries and 30 yards. And then he had 140 yards, 135 yards against them in the second game. They had 190 yards, or no, 200 and something yards because Trevor Lawrence had 90 yards rushing. Uh, that was the biggest difference. And then you look at Notre Dame on the flip side in that first game, you know, uh, they had 175, 180 yards rushing, and they had under 100 in this game. 
Well, and I don't know because I, I can't watch, I don't have access to all 22. I don't know if schematically, if Notre Dame's doing things differently with Trevor Lawrence in versus when they had the young freshman in the first time around, or if that's just Etienne like had a better box of Wheaties that morning. I don't know what the difference there is, right? Um, but that's the difference certainly was Etienne and his rushing yards. I'm attributing that, I think, to I would as a coach line up differently against Trevor Lawrence. I'd have less people in the box because I know that everyone's available as far as where he can throw the football, right? Uh, th- that's just a, how I would, like, good quarterbacks produce good running games too, just like good running backs help out quarterbacks. It's it's a very mutual relationship. But. Well, and Sully's argument was that, you know, what Trevor Lawrence really brought was his legs because uh, Ujulele is more of a pocket passer. And so he threw for 440 yards against Notre Dame but he doesn't really hurt you with his legs. So it's you can just drop back in the coverage. You don't have to worry about him taking off. Trevor Lawrence can run for 100 yards or 90 yards. So you always have to be aware of that as well. And that kind of throws you know, like he, and he, I don't mean to say every running white quarterback is deceptive, but he's like a deceptive shake because he's so big and strong that he's got that one wiggle at the line to get past the zone read guy. Uh, no, I, I, again, Clemson's a very strong, powerful football team. If they're having trouble with Etienne's speed, they're gonna have a lot of trouble with Devontae Smith's speed, right? <laughs> that's, that's gonna be that's gonna be problematic. Uh from Alabama, Clemson, uh Notre Dame, whatever it is we got the Heisman talk now. And the 2021 Heisman is a little bit later in the year. We talked uh, a couple episodes ago about how you know the Heisman Award had been handed out I mean, weeks ago in previous years. Joe Burrow, I think, won it two weeks ago or a week ago, you know, last year. So now it's going to be rolling into January. It'll be after the first round of the playoffs, which I think might hurt some people. But I'm curious your take because the the nominees are Mac Jones from Alabama, the quarterback, Kyle Trask, who's been in it all year, um, Devontae Smith, who's got almost 100 catches for 15, 1,600 yards, as well as some punt returns, and then Trevor Lawrence, who missed a few games. And, I mean, his numbers are far, far, far below the other two quarterbacks that are with him. Well, and it's his number. His numbers are lower because he missed those games, right? Uh, I his per game numbers are pretty strong. It just didn't play as many. I think what's interesting here is I of those four. Like, if I'm voting, if I were a voter, I would give it to Devonte Smith. I don't know how you cover him with a college defense. <laughs> I think I need pro type athletes to have any shot with that guy. Uh, I also think it's interesting that, like you mentioned, he affects other parts of the game and the punt returns and the kickoff returns and so on. He's just, he's an incredible talent. And I think he and Mac Jones, I see what I talked about Etienne and Lawrence. I think he and Mac Jones have very much a mutually beneficial relationship. Like the way you adjust your coverage to cover Devonte Smith will help out Mac Jones and other aspects of the field. Mac Jones also gets passing yards every time he throws it to Devonte Smith. Right. And so there is this bounce back and forth there. I wonder if that, because it's typically been a quarterback award, I think only four, non-quarterbacks have won in the last like 20 years or something like that. Uh, and then if you count Tim Tebow, it'd be one more. But I think I think the deal is that you really got, that's going to pull votes away if you have voters thinking the same way about like they're a Southern person, watch a lot of Alabama football, or they're just a college football person, watch a lot of Alabama football. Some of those people are going to vote for Devante or Mac Jones versus the other. And I think that that ends up leading you to a Trevor Lawrence like career achievement award because I agree with you I don't think his numbers this year missing a couple games this year I don't think his year necessarily stacks up to a Kyle Trask even um but there's this weird lifetime achievement award I see Sully points out he could be the one receiver on his own team I think it's funny the so I had to coach against Jalen Waddell in high school Jalen Waddell is a freak of nature and I was so sad to see him go down um, I don't, but again, like, I think that's just another one of those guys that you could argue that having all that talent on the outside hurts Mac, Mac Jones just as much, right? Like all of those guys across the outside open up things for one another. And for Mac, it's like, oh, you're going to double team that guy. Well, now you have single team that guy, or now you're going to forget about right in the crossing around this thing. Like I, it, Trevor Lawrence doesn't have, not like Trevor Lawrence doesn't have any weapons or anything like that, but it's just, it feels like a lifetime achievement award for Trevor as he anoints his, puts his crown on, makes it run the college football uh, championship trophy and it walks off to be the number one pick by apparently the Jacksonville Jaguars, right? Like, like it feels like this just like storyline that keeps on going. Well, in my experience watching the Heisman, following the Heisman is it's never really been a lifetime achievement award for anybody. I mean, it's, it's always definitely that one single year guy, which has got why I got like Tebow or Johnny Manziel wins it is that one year they have, it's just incredibly dominant, you know, Joe Burrow, the year before he won, I mean, obviously his year last year was just absolutely 
maybe the best year in college football history. But before that, he was a guy who threw for 2,600 yards, you know? So it's, it wasn't so much a career achievement award, it's just like that single season thing. And my question is, I think personally, Kyle Trask deserves it in terms of what he's playing with versus what Mac Jones, like you said, Mac Jones has all these weapons, you know, from Najee Harris to Smith to Waddell to, uh, I think they have another uh, receiver on that team as well. I feel like Trask is playing with less. What I think is going to hurt him is that loss to Alabama. And if he loses to Oklahoma, even though I think by that time the votes are in, I just feel like these late games are hurting his Heisman chances. And it's going to end up being Mac Jones because he's completed 77% of his passes. I don't think it can be Devontae Smith because to beat out a quarterback, like you said, it's so hard to do. To beat out a quarterback, I look at other receivers who have won it. Desmond Howard had more receiving yards, double the punt return yards, triple the punt return touchdowns in the year that he won it. I mean, you just have to have such an amazing year as a receiver to beat out quarterbacks. I think. Even as, I mean, running backs win it more often. And even when you're looking at running backs, you're looking at crazy statistical anomaly years. It's it's more so that I see him pulling, as someone who I would vote for, I see him pulling votes from Mac Jones than I think he has. I don't know that he necessarily has a real shot at it. But. And Sully says, I can't imagine Jalen Waddle in high school freak athlete. I mean, all this he was in football and then in basketball. He, so I had coached against him in both. Layup lines were a dunk contest. He was explosive. <laughs> Well, I think we've all seen the highlights of uh, Henry Ruggs, like, you know, 360 dunks and things yeah. like that. I mean, those guys are just ridiculous. Yeah, they're not built the same. <laughs> uh, kind of college-ish, kind of pro news. We have a couple NFL teams have reached out to Urban Meyer about head coaching vacancies. I, it's come out those teams are the Lions and the Jaguars. And apparently, Urban Meyer's interested. He hasn't said no. He said he wants to think about it. He's taking until next week to make his decision. I don't know. What do you think about Urban Meyer as an NFL coach? I mean, he's a great recruiter, so any college should get this guy. But X's and O's wise, I mean, is he a, would he be a fit on an NFL you know, sideline? I don't know. So what's funny about the Urban Meyer story is as a Texas guy, like a University of Texas guy, I, I joked that if it weren't for that school, I don't exist because that's where my parents met. I have followed this because people in UT at UT in Austin really thought they had a shot at signing him, and then it fell through very recently. You know, depending on who you listen to, some people would say, oh, he could, could, just couldn't get a staff together. Some people would say he was never coming. I might lean on that he was never coming. But it, but anyway, people go back and forth on what they think of Urban coming to University of Texas. The pros, though, I think it's like you're saying, his offense at Ohio State, his offense at Florida, and even to some degree at Utah were all explosive in how many points they put up. They were, you know, very productive, but not complex, like not – the kind of thing that will throw off an NFL defensive coordinator. He just had the dudes. He had so many pros, even at Utah to some degree, right? If people forget, like he had Alex Smith for a minute there. The idea that you can go turn that into a pro offense would require also having the same talent gap. And you don't get to recruit in the pros the same way. I think he's losing and, and going to pros. I think he's losing his biggest asset is whatever speech he gives, you know, if you want to make sure he's not doing anything under the table, but every speech, whatever speech he gives, he goes to a five-star recruits home and says, I can turn you into a pro and they're buying it and showing up to whatever campus he's at. You don't get to do that in the NFL. You have to draft just like everyone else. And you get one first round pick. Whereas as a college coach, you can get 20 first round picks if you're good at recruiting. Right. And so it's just, it's a different deal. Well, I also wonder if his offenses, because historically, like you said Alex Smith at Utah, Tim Tebow at Florida, uh, guys like Justin Fields at you know Ohio State. I wonder if you know he is just better at scheming for mobile quarterbacks. In which case, Jacksonville taking Trevor Lawrence seems like it would be a good fit. But I, I don't know. Could he scheme a pro style offense with a true pocket passer with no mobility? I, I, haven't, I haven't seen him do it, so I don't want to say he, he can or can't. I will say it's like you're saying. I have not seen evidence of him doing it in the past. And so since I haven't seen evidence of him doing it in the past, I have a hard time believing or assuming he will. Uh, again, like you said, all those guys you named, even the year he had three potential pro quarterbacks sitting there at Ohio State, and they, they won the whole thing because all three of them had to play. I mean, who who else – most NFL teams don't have – some don't have one starting quarterback. Most don't have two. How are you going to – like he had three – Pro-level quarterbacks, if Cardale Jones had a brief stint in the lead, all in Ohio State at one time. I mean, his talent gap has always been huge. I don't think you get that in the NFL. I was a big Braxton Miller fan. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. kind of upset that he didn't you know, catch on somewhere. <laughs> well, he played a little wide out, too. But he was a – again, that Ohio State team, Zeke Elliott, again, pro running back, that, that was a fun, fun team. Michael Thomas came through Ohio State for a while there. I mean, 
lots of guys. Um, we have been trying to incorporate a few more games into the show, and it's fun to have Parker on here trying out a new game. We haven't tried with Sully yet, but going around social media, if you're part of any sports groups, or even if you're not, you'll see things pop up where it says start, bench, cut. And it's obviously very similar to the game we all play, F, Mary kill, right? And it's a, you know, same idea, except we're doing it with, uh, you know, professional athletes and whatnot. And with you being a basketball guy, the first one I wanted to throw out there, start, bench, cut, because I saw this one, and I actually think it's a tough one, is start, bench, cut, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Larry Bird at the small forward position. Oof. Okay. Um, what you're making me do there is, you're inevitably cutting a Hall of Famer. I want to make sure I get that out there so don't get roasted too hard. <laughs> I think I cut Bird, and I think I'm going to get roasted for that. I think I cut Bird, and I think I start LeBron, which means I bent Kevin Durant, bench Kevin Durant. Um, I start LeBron because I'm not bound to playing him at small forward. Right, He can play really in small, in small ball play right now. He can play any of the five positions, but he's certainly a one through four kind of guy, even when he was at the Heatles. I assume I'm getting the best version of all these guys because the best version of Durant we saw was a two-time finals MVP and the Warriors are kind of wrecking basketball. You know, Larry Bird's great. And I don't mean to disparage Larry Bird. He just kind of came in third there to me. Like, yeah. like I, I don't, that, that's a rough, making Silva cut a Hall of Famer is a rough way to start this, man. <laughs> right. Well, and that's what I like about these games, and particularly that one, because it is a tough one. And I thought about it and I agree. LeBron James is a starter. Uh, to me, he's the third best basketball player in the history and so you have to have him there. I actually have Larry Bird on the bench, and I'm cutting Durant. And the reason that I'm going with Bird is just the versatility that he offers in terms of passing and rebounding, which Durant doesn't. I mean, uh, neither one of them is a great defender. Neither one of them is a horrible defender. But just both of them can score. Both of them have the great three-point shot. And if anything, if you remember, or if not, I'm not sure, Larry Bird actually played within the three-point line was, what, a foot longer, a foot, foot deeper? back, yeah. So, you know, well, he, and to your point, Larry and LeBron are a lot more alike than Durant and LeBron as far as how they dish the ball out and you know rebound. They like fill a stat sheet. Um, so maybe your team has more uniformity of it. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But I've always liked it because the, the Durant versus Bird argument is where I got the idea for this three P or the three person thing because it is close. I mean, Durant is a phenomenal scorer. Uh, he's unguardable in terms of his jump shot because he's so long and he can get it off over anybody. But I just don't think he – people say he's the most versatile scorer of all time. I completely disagree with that. I think it's Carmelo Anthony that I've seen uh, in terms of being able to post up, being able to shoot off the dribble, being able to get to the rack and finish. I mean, Durant's just a shooter to me. I don't think he does much more to shoot. Durant's – so there's like being a jack-of-all-trades. Durant is not a jack-of-all-trades. He is really, really good at his three trades, and you can't stop his three – right? Like he's that tall, that long, with that good a jump shot, and so he doesn't need all of those other plethora of moves. He's just that good a score with what he's got, whereas a Carmelo Anthony or any number of other players – but Carmelo's a great example of a guy that had so many moves in the bag that you didn't know what was coming. You can know what's coming with Durant. It just doesn't matter. <laughs> It's like Mariano Rivera and the splitter. Right? <laughs> exactly. Play the inner Sandman. <laughs> uh, all right. Another basketball one for you. This is a, a big man challenge. And the start bench cut on this one is going to be Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Again, you're going to have to cut a Hall of Famer. So <laughs> it, It's just the way that these work out. But obviously, three of the best big men of all time. I'll, I'll get into that. I don't necessarily think so. But those out of those three, how are you playing it? So I probably start Kareem, um, I, whether it's longevity and him playing 20 years or even how good he was in the last couple of years, the Lakers there. I also have an actor from the movie airplane, you know, that's good. Uh, no. And then I, I probably pull off the bench, Bill Russell. And it's weird to think about Bill Russell as an off the bench role type of guy, because when has he ever been on the bench or anything? But if you think like of an off the bench kind of guy, come in and play a lot of great defense and come in and do everything, which just means I benched the guy who scored more points in the game than anyone else and has more rebounds in the game than anyone else and has all these a bajillion of records that Wilt Chamberlain does. I, <laughs> again, you're cutting all of famer. I guess I figure that, you know, there are lots of different ways to score and I can find ways to make up points and I can't necessarily replace what 
Kareem and Bill Russell do. And if the game's cutting all of famer, I'm guess I'm cutting Will Chamberlain. That's just ridiculous. That's <laughs> just that I cut Will Chamberlain. So I don't know what I'm doing there. Well, and this is where it gets interesting with me because again, I know you're a big basketball guy. To me, I'm starting Will Chamberlain. Uh, he, he's my starter, and uh, the reason for that is I actually have Will Chamberlain as the greatest basketball player ever above Michael Jordan. I have Jordan at two. Um, I think that just his dominance was unmatched. I mean, it's like Babe Ruth in baseball, like a guy who hits like 60 home runs and the rest of the American league combined hit 53. You know, it's like, that's what Will Chamberlain's numbers were like, you know, he was averaging 50 points per game, but he wasn't doing it in an era where everyone was averaging 50. Like the next (laughs) guy was like 22. You know, it's like he was dominating. And, And some of the stats that are mind boggling to me, we mentioned the rebounds. We mentioned the points per game, even points per game for a season. Right. I mean, he's first, second, third, fourth, and sixth place for highest scoring average. You know, uh, you look at his, the, the one that's mind boggling to me is 30, 30 games, right? 30 points, 30 right. rebounds. Uh, I think uh, second all places, Bill, uh, Bill Russell, all time. Second, three, he's got three of those games. First place is Bill Chamberlain with 126 of those games. Right. You know, I mean, it, it's insanity how he dominated. So for me, he's the best big man of all time. I think he's the one guy that transitions to today's game. If you were to put him in today, he wasn't a shooter by me, but he was a run the floor up and down kind of guy. You put him in today, I think Will Chamberlain still averages 30 and 18 in today's NBA. Well, and I think what's interesting about all three of those guys is if they're born in 1990, what do they look like in 2020? Because they they would have, like, based on just athletic ability, done a lot of things. The touch of Kareem makes me think he could shoot if you asked him to. The the only knock I've ever heard on Wilt, because in the 100-point game, he makes them all, is the free throws thing, right? And so... I don't know how that adjusts or if that's just difference and like he never had to worry about it or whatever. Um, but Wilt Chamberlain's rebound record to me, he had 55 in a game and with the pace of play being as slow as it was, that feels like it must've been every missed shot. I know it wasn't actually every missed shot, but it feels like it was felt must've in the gym felt like he had every missed shot was Wilt Chamberlain's, which is just nuts. Well, the big thing in, in, in the knock on the rebounds is that in his era, I think guys shot something like, 41% versus nowadays where they shoot like 49%, a lot fewer missed shots now to rebound. Uh, but anyway, like I said, I'm starting Wilt. I'm benching Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and I'm cutting Bill Russell. And you're going to be surprised because I'm from New England. Bill Russell's the most overrated NBA basketball player of all time. Ooh. He is a glorified Dennis Rodman. He could rebound wow. and he could play defense and that's it. Nothing else. But see, if I get a technical throughout the game, he can also coach the team. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, no, that's fat. So you're a New Englander that would cut Bill Russell. That's fat. That's I assumed you were the New Englander that was going to like spurn the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and the Lakers <laughs> and the what. I, I assumed that was coming. Um, interesting. Okay. We, we had a whole other podcast on Bill Russell now sometime. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Going into another sport, football. Uh, this came up a little while back because we we're talking about uh, DK Metcalf and how you know he's not Megatron, whatever. So if you're doing start bench cut, Megatron, Jerry Rice, Randy Moss. Uh, okay, these are all going to be hard ones. <laughs> but yeah, uh, again, I would assume that the. I mean, I don't think Megatron's close to being eligible, but I assume you're cutting a Hall of Famer and doing this too. Oof. So this is 100% showing my age, but I. I feel like I want to start Randy because I want the speed. And then I, I bench Jerry and cut Megatron. But again, I just pull bear. I, I guess you do play two receivers though, but uh, the combination of size and speed, and maybe I feel like I connect with Randy. I can get him to like cut all the crap out and stay on the field. Uh, I, I just, he was as a kid growing up, watching him play the size, speed, hands, leaping, he and it wasn't speed, just like raw straight line speed. And then I cut for somebody six foot four, which is incredible. Um, whereas Jerry Rice was just the most technically sound. There's an argument like just athlete, right? Like he just didn't make mistakes with his feet, didn't make mistakes with his hands, and that's why he got to play for so long too. Which just means that Megatron gets cut. Like he's just third place in that group. See now again for me, uh, I'm starting Megatron. Um, <laughs> I am going to bench Randy Moss. And I'm cutting Jerry Rice from the team. Um, and the main reason is, is for me, Megatron, and, and I've had this debate with Sully many times, Megatron to me is just the most physically imposing and gifted receiver I've ever seen. Randy does have that speed. He's 6'4". Megatron's 6'6", and he ran like a 4'2'9 at the, the combine. He's got like a 45-inch vertical. I think sports science did a thing where they said that he can catch any ball within a 40-yard radius of where he is, which is just ridiculous. Now, obviously, if he doesn't have Matthew Stafford as his quarterback his entire career, his numbers probably look a lot better. But I think in terms of like uh, a defensive back, I mean, uh, how do you 
up Megatron. I just don't think he can. And then, like you said, Randy Moss, again, another physical freak. I just take the physical tools over the technical tools. And so Jerry Rice is out on his rear end. No stick him <laughs> on this team. No stick him on this team, exactly. Well, and I will say, if you had Megatron on one side and Randy Moss on the other, my safeties are playing 45 yards deep. <laughs> uh, and Sully says, uh, ha, 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 I called that. He knows how I feel about uh, Megatron um, and, and those guys. So the other one, switching to the quarterback position, again, start, bench, cut. Hall of Famers getting cut here. I picked three guys who I think are similar in abilities. I didn't want to put like Tom Brady and he's the goat and uh, New England. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I've got Aaron Rodgers, Dan Marino, Steve Young are the three guys. Uh, obviously, three all time greats, but you have to cut one of these guys. You got to bench one and you got to start one. What are you doing? Again, this is 100% my age, but I probably start Rodgers. Um, you know, I don't know that. It helps if he retires to just the one Super Bowl, and I don't know if I haven't beaten Pat Mahomes this year, but I, I'd probably start Rodgers there. And then I like the way Young played versus the way Marino played. They're both agile and mobile, and this and so is Rodgers. This is where degree where they're not like take off with speed, but they're not gonna like just go down because they're in the pocket the whole time, like your boy Tom. But I, <laughs> I probably go with Young next to Marino third. But again, that's this is just a function of he's third out of those three to me. Uh, but I start Rodgers and cut Marino. So I'd start Marino. <laughs> and uh, the <laughs> and uh, for, well, for me, because I think he's the best passer of all time. And, and so when we talk about like the best quarterbacks of all time for years and years, it was Montana. And Montana was always compared to Marino, just like Brady was always compared to Peyton Manning. Right? And Peyton Manning was a better passer than Tom Brady. It's just a fact. But overall, as a quarterback, Tom Brady's the better uh, achievement-wise, accolades-wise. And so I think the same thing here. Marino's a better passer than Montana. I think of these three guys, Marino's the best passer, although Aaron Rodgers has really, really special, you know, passing ability and he's mobile. So he gets the bench and then Steve Young is out. Um, so Steve Young got a couple of his rings. Thanks to Joe Montana. Uh, <laughs> so he, he's gone and it's going to be uh, Marino's a starter and Aaron Rodgers backing him up. Interesting. Again, the New Englander. I mean, uh, anyway, interesting, interesting. <laughs> um. So again, switching sports again. This one is the last sports one. Then we have a couple movie ones, which will be interesting. Uh, but start, bench, cut. These are pitchers in baseball. Roger Clemens, Ooh. Greg Maddox, Pedro Martinez. Um, so again, Hall of Famer is going to be out the door. But of yeah. these three guys, one of them starting, one of them's coming in in relief, and one of them will not have a job. <laughs> not have a job. That sounds so so stern. <laughs> um are we taking a piss test at some point or is it, am I clean? Cause if I'm you, clean, <laughs> you, you do what you want to do. There's no, no testing. These guys are going to get their full careers. Uh, I'm start. I think I'm probably starting Clemens. He had a long career. Uh, and again, this could be age, but I'm pulling Pedro in and relief and cutting Maddox. Maddox was a wizard with where he placed the ball, but of those guys, he didn't have the same kind of power. Right. Um, and so that's how I would do it. Again, I maybe that's the Texan me putting Roger up there first. But if we're if we're taking whiz tests all of a sudden, then I gotta I gotta change my order up. <laughs> well, and so and, and this would be funny, but uh, I have Greg Maddox starting, um, and the uh, the reason being is, is just his ability to pitch the ball to any location. I mean, the guy had a complete game with only seventy six pitches or something like that. I mean, yeah. the, the guy was just insane. I think remember the stat that came out a little while back too, something about like. Um, he'd only seen a three Oh count something like 126 times in his career. And like 80 were intentional walks or something like he just, <laughs> you know, he, he's just an insane, insane, accurate pitcher. He's going to give you all nine innings. You're not going to have to bring in a reliever with him. Um, my backup, this was the tougher call because I think Clemens has the better career. I think overall career wise, Clemens is a better pitcher than Pedro Martinez, but when I say bench, I'm thinking relief pitcher and Pedro Martinez, I can bring him in short relief. And to me, the 99, 2000, 2001, that little stretch, like three, four years, Pedro Martinez had the most dominant stretch for any pitcher in the history of the game. More than right. Sandy Koufax, more than anybody. I mean, he was just unhittable in the steroid era, had like a one seven, nine ERA in the steroid era. I mean, it's just insane. So then of course, Clemens is out, but I do think that of the three of them, Clemens is the best pitcher. If you say, Hey, great. You're all time pitchers. Clemens is number one in that list. But unfortunately, he gets cut because of just you know, how I want to nature play. of the game. Yeah. All right, so the movie ones, uh, we're starting with basketball movies because you're a basketball guy. And again, <laughs> you're going to start one, you're going to bench one, and one of these is getting thrown out the door. But these to me are three of, if not the three, best basketball movies of all time. And I'm going to have you rank them here, I guess. Hoosiers, Blue Chips, <laughs> White Men Can't Jump. 
um, one of these movies is out the door. That's funny. Um, this is my hot basketball movie take is I immediately saw who's from like, Oh, that's my cut. Like, that, that was, <laughs> like, like, and I think there's like, there's part of me. that's a basketball coach and other basketball coaches be like, what's wrong with you, Parker? That's the great. And then there's part of me that's like, I, I don't know, but I, I cut Hoosiers very quickly. And I think I start white men can't jump, which means the blue chips is, is my bench, my bench player there. I, I'm not a big Hoosiers guy and I, I am a big basketball guy. I'm, like I said, I also coach basketball and I also watch a lot and I write about it. I just, it's never been my movie. I don't know if it's that, you know, it's a little old school for me or the free throw versus the basket. That's a little cheesy for me. The kids know how far away the free throw line is. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just, it's not my jam. So I was, that that's the easiest one for me of the day, which of course means you're going to put it first. I, I thought about putting it first really because <laughs> For me, I look at it as a movie guy, more so than a basketball guy. And in terms of those three movies, that one had the best acting, the best script, the best plot, the best played out performances. Um, and so that's why it's tough for me to cut it. Although White Men Can't Jump for me is neck and neck with Hoosiers for the best basketball movie of all time. I think those two movies are one and two, whichever order you put them in. Um, so White Men Can't Jump is actually going to get my start here. Hoosiers is going to get the bench and Blue Chips is going to get cut. Even though I saw Blue Chips on opening night in 1994, <laughs> um, I was so psyched. I went home and I played basketball video games for the rest of the night. I couldn't sleep. I was <laughs> so excited, uh, especially because Shaquille O'Neal was my favorite player at that time. Right. Um, but and actually, I don't know if you put, so we had Silk Kozart on the show. Uh, he plays uh, Slick, the guy that introduces Shaquille O'Neal to Nick Dolte. Okay. Um, and so that was cool. He was also in White Man Can't Jump. He's the guy, uh, Robert, at the uh, Watts, when they go to the Watts. And he he gets is. Yeah. Um, so he was on the show, and he talked about both those movies. Uh, but no, so I go White Man Can't Jump 1, and I'm going to go with uh, Hoosiers 2. Uh, this one's just going to be movies, movies. This will be the last one we have of these, so not sports-related, but Braveheart, A Few Good Men, Shawshank Redemption. Gotcha. So I probably go... Braveheart, then Shawshank. Uh, but again, it frankly with movies like that, I don't watch those movies like rewatch. Like I got so it's been like years since I've seen any of them. Um, just as far as like the combat type movies go. I thought with Braveheart, the deal was it was different than most like the military movies kind of get not overrun. There's like a new one every couple years, right? And like Braveheart felt different to me as many years ago as it's been now, and maybe that's because I was young and impressionable, but it felt different to me than your your average like you know, hero in a war, hero in a battle, hero in a fight. So I'd stick with Braveheart, I think. But, and then Shawshank, yeah. Yeah, Braveheart's a can't miss in the sense that, you know, Braveheart, um, you know, it's an action movie, it's a drama movie, but it also has some comedy in it. And it's really well done. Five Academy Awards, right? Best director, best picture, best actor, uh, all, you know, same person, basically. Um, but the, uh, for me, I actually went with uh, starting uh, Shawshank Redemption and, uh, a few good men off the bench and then I'm cutting Braveheart. And the only reason I'm cutting Braveheart is like you said, the rewatchability uh, Braveheart's a three and a half, four hour movie. It's a really long movie uh, back in the VHS days. Anybody remembers those? <laughs> it came in two VHSs. You had to put in tape one and then tape two and it was done. Um, so it's kind of long and there are parts of it that really drag out a little bit. And I feel like a few good men and Shawshank are fast paced enough that there really are no parts that lag. And so if I'm going to have to be on a desert island and these are the only two movies I might get to watch, it's those two and Braveheart kind of gets uh, thrown out in the ocean. <laughs> and so, let me, so we got NBA news is the next section uh, that we have going on here. The first bit of NBA news that I have here, let me just go through my notes. Here, is, oh, that James Harden. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> Fat James Harden makes his debut and he gets 44 points and 17 assists in the game. And it's starting to look like, you know, maybe the weight doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, I mean, he did, he did have the game ending turnover. Uh, and so maybe it matters there. I, I don't know. I, I will say, I think he's always been a guy that is not in the best shape at the start of the season and is deceptively going to get quicker and faster over the course of it. And then run out of gas. And, there's been, as a fan, times where you're like, man, if he would just have been in shape at the start, the year he was probably in the best shape at the start was the 17-18 year when they reeled off a bunch of wins to start the year and they had Chris Paul and Chris Paul, Capella, and Hay combined for like 55 wins and only seven losses when the three were healthy and whatever. Um, but I will say that it's nice to, as a 
Texan that he's caring so much about stimulating the local economy there in Houston by spending individual dollar bills for people to take home. It's non-taxed, right? <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's doing a great thing there. Um, and I think that it, what it's a reminder of is everyone's been so focused for him in the last six weeks about what his problems are off the floor when he doesn't want to be in Houston. I don't know if we ever talk him into wanting to stay, right? But hey, the problems that he has off the floor not wanting to be there that people kind of forgot he's led the league in points per game for a long time. He led the league in assists two or three times in the last six years. He's been top three in MVP voting fire for the last six years. And the conversation had gotten away from that because of the antics and because of the social media, him getting caught on people's Instagrams and strip clubs and stuff like that. And I think it's interesting that, you know, now it's like, oh yeah, he, he can really ball. And like today we found out that Brooklyn's going to be without Spencer Dinwiddie this year. And it's like, ooh, does that change? Do they need him more all of a sudden? Or, you know, you get to mid-season, you got Milwaukee and they're like in fourth place in the East. And like, oh man, like, do we, do we need another dude? And he's getting, he can get you 44 and 17. I think the other thing that is funny to me about him is that <laughs> he had 44 and 17 and then had a turnover at the end of the game. And I can objectively sit there and watch the game and be like, Hey, he's the only reason it got to overtime. Like he, like there's no John Wall, no boogie. Christian Wood had a good game, but if he's not him, they don't get that far. I can also objectively watch that game and be like, PJ Tucker's in the wrong place at the end. That's why the turnover happened is if PJ Tucker's in the corner, he's kicking it to Tucker for a make or miss three to see if they win the game. Um, and I can, I can do also rationalize, like it's the first game in Silas's system. And well, I can take that play that Silas ran with Dallas last year to get Kleba in the corner with Porzingis up top where Wood was and so on. I, I also know that like, I kind of had a bad feeling when it was a one possession game in overtime and he'd already played 40 something minutes. Uh, he's been our guy for eight years and that's what we're going to do. And every team, you know, in the NBA has got their guy, but I, I'm anxious to see what that does. Does he have, so tonight they play Denver in, in about an hour. Um, does he have another 35 point night against Denver? You know, there's still no John Wall, still no boogie. They're going to put a lot on him. We've talked about the rocks for a long time. I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Cause Boston's one of the, it seems like a bajillion teams on his list, but it doesn't sound like Boston has, fans as they want to give up all the stuff it's going to take to get in that 44 and 17. Well, I'm going to say something now that's going to make some of the previous things we've talked about make a lot of sense. I'm a Lakers fan. Uh, <laughs> 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 the so, New Englander. Okay. The takes right. are making more sense now. Which may make more sense why I kicked Bill Russell to the curb. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, no, I'm a Lakers fan. And so for me, I do watch Boston objectively. Obviously I, I dislike them from a competitive standpoint, but I don't, hate them. I, I like to see them do well. I'm a huge Brad Stevens fan. I think he is the second best coach in the NBA behind Popovich. I do have him ahead of Spolstra despite what happened in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. I would be interested to see how James Harden would do with Brad Stevens because Brad Stevens is a college coach and he still coaches like a college coach and he's been fortunate enough to have college type players on his team and the one diva that he had, Kyrie Irving, did not work out well. And if Kyrie Irving didn't work out, James Harden's a super diva. And so I really don't see that relationship working. And plus, I don't know how you're taking away points for, well, I mean, Jalen Brown would probably have to be involved in the trade. They're not going to trade Tatum, right? So Brown's gone. Harden fills that role. I don't know. I think it stunts Tatum's growth because he's becoming the star of that team. And so to take away that and make somebody else the star, I don't know. It hurts in a lot of reasons. It, it's interesting because Boston's a team that's been in the Eastern Conference Finals like three of the last four years, I think. But you also, it's like you're saying, even though they've been competitive and good in the present tense or are competitive and good in the present tense, they're really a future team. Kind of the same way Dallas is really a future team. Kind of the same way that like Bam Adebayo in Miami, like, yeah, Jimmy's 30, but the rest of that team's kind of a future team, right? Um, these teams are young and going forward. Boston just has also, and Miami has just also, and Dallas has just also been competitive right now, right? Um, Dallas less so than Miami and Boston. But I think it's interesting because it's like you're saying, trading for Harden by any team is a win in the next 18 months move. Right. There's like we're making a push to win the title this year or next year, or at least make a shot and try it. Right. And Boston, if they didn't make that move, is probably looking pretty good for the two or three titles after that, if they don't look good between now and then. Right. And it I don't know. I, I just think it's interesting that 
once he plays a game. He finally got out there and played. And I don't know. I'm not going to get psychoanalytical and be like, does he look like he's having fun or is he enjoying Christian whatever, right? But he goes out there and balls 44 and 17. And everyone's like, oh, man, he's still really good, right? Like we had kind of forgotten that in all the mess because it was a mess and all of the mess that had happened since then. Now, you brought it up, and I have a, an image here of obviously James Harden at the strip club, along with Dwayne Haskins, who got cut today by the Washington football team. They released Dwayne Haskins today after his whole uh, stint and James Harden. And it got me wondering, what is the deal with strip clubs? I mean, Lou Williams got kicked out of the bubble, or he had to wait two weeks because he went to a strip club while he was out for a day. I mean, these guys, what is the appeal? I know there's naked women there, but you can see that stuff for free online. <laughs> yeah. Uh you know, I, I could sit here and make more jokes about stimulating the local economy and how it's a really, really great thing for these towns. I think that's just the deal is that, you know, these are, I guess the Williams are a little bit older, but these are well-to-do, not tied down men in their 20s that, like, enjoy going out. And, like, Harden made a real big push. I thought it was so funny. And, again, I enjoy watching him play basketball. I think I'm in the minority of people in that. Um, but... I, he made this real big push in the days after to be like, it wasn't a strip club. It was a nightclub that was rented out for this event or whatever. And so like, it was just, what. and it was like, but you can't do that either in the, in the protocol. <laughs> like you're clarifying to say you also still broke the rule. Uh, and so, but he had, I would say the clubs the nights before during, and there's supposed to be a training camp. So it, it's very similar issue to me. I think the interesting thing is that the Williams gets a 10 day, whatever he has to quarantine from respect the bubble and Dwayne Haskins is not on the team today right he, as of this afternoon he's not on the team James Harden was a you know top three MVP voting five of the last six years he got fifty thousand dollar fine we're gonna keep moving <laughs> like, like, like if, if you're good enough especially in the leagues that are hurting for TV money after the COVID pandemic everything's a business like they need him on televised games and so like they actually didn't move the Oklahoma City game because of him there's a COVID outbreak separate from him within the team but like they they weren't going to lose that TV money. They need him to play. <laughs> that, that's, Adam Silver is not dumb. I don't know why, though, as the, I'm diverging off the question, the idea of like why these guys have to go to the strip. I, outside of being dudes making a lot of monies with no ties in their 20s, I, I, I'm like you. I, there are better ways to spend money and time. And it doesn't mean you have to like not talk to women. Like I don't, I don't know what the deal is. And, and the only thing I could think of is that maybe growing up or whatever it is, like that's like a place that you could meet somebody easy. And, and I don't mean to, you know, disrespect you know, women who work at those establishments, but I think that maybe that's what they're thinking. They go there, they have lots of money, they flash it around, you know, they can bring one of those girls home with them. But I'm like, you could just hire an escort and she'd be a lot less or a lot more discreet, you know, less likely right. you're going to find out about it. Yeah. You know? Well, and especially the Dwayne Haskins issue, like, you know, Lou Will was picking up wings or whatever, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and James Harden has his his MVP caliber. He knows he's untouchable. And he doesn't want to play in Houston. So if they suspend him, like, big deal, right? Dwayne Haskins is fighting for a job. <laughs> like, like you you don't have this luxury. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. Uh, I, I will say it's interesting that also culturally, like, you know, you and I or whoever else is in their 20s and not some big stud pro athlete, goes to one of these establishments and we get treated way differently. <laughs> like it, there, there's a different, once you pass that financial threshold, whether it's the clothes you wear or you're clearly an NBA basketball player because you're six foot 12 or whatever, it, like all of a sudden you get treated a little bit differently. And you know, I don't know what that's like. So I don't want to sit here and be like, I would never do that. Cause I, I wasn't that, but I, it doesn't make much sense to me. So I can think, I don't think I would, <laughs> but right. Um, you know, another video that emerged uh, recently was Steph Curry shooting jump shots for five minutes straight, didn't miss a shot. I think they said 105 straight three-pointers. And this is the kind of stuff, this kind of story comes out really a couple times a year, three times a year, some NBA guy, whoever it is, uh, is shooting. What blows my mind is what a big deal people make out of this. Because I went to school with Matt Bonner. Matt Bonner was uh, a couple oh. years behind me, right? And so he still works out in Concord, New Hampshire and, and whatnot. You don't have to understand these guys can shoot like that. Like I am not an NBA player. I consider myself a very good or in my younger days, a very good basketball player. I have made 40 or 50 straight three pointers, uh, you know, in the gym with nobody guarding me, you know, just kind of <laughs> shooting around. So why wouldn't Steph Curry be able to make 105 in a row? Well, and I, I, I played at a, 
good high school basketball team. It wasn't good because I was on it, but I've made, you know, 15 or 20 and I wasn't shooting was not my thing. I, I, so I, I think it's funny to say that like guys that spend that much time in the gym can make a lot of jump shots. I also think it's funny that like what really happens here is just pro shooters, much like we talked about pro receivers or people are just built differently. Pro shooters just do this differently. Like clay, there'll be, there could be a video of clay or Dame or, Seth Curry, Duncan Robinson, Joe Harris, JJ Redick, Buddy Hill, like any number of other shooters could also have this video out because the Warriors are not doing so great this year. People think they might have a rough year, even if Steph is back. It's like, oh, but look at this cool Steph Curry thing. The funniest thing to come out of that, though, not because we don't need to like digest the video too much, is he undid his braids and made 105 threes. And then they won on Sunday. And it's like, oh man, it was just the braids holding him back. <laughs> like, I don't know if it was just the braids, but it was a funny coincidence that, like, oh, just trips the barbershop, fix everything. <laughs> well, that's just sports in general. If you remember the movie Bull Durham, right? When Kevin Costner <laughs> tells Susan Sarandon, he goes, if you think you're pitching well because you're breathing out of a certain eyelid or whatever it is, and you are, <laughs> and you just you ride that train until Absolutely. it's. Done. Yeah. yeah. Well, now Steph's never going to get braids again, right? On that, on that logic, he'll never braid his hair again. <laughs> um, all right, uh, another NBA story, 51-point win. The Mavericks beat the Clippers. And, you know, I'm curious to get your take on this because it was 77-27 to 27 at halftime or something like that. I mean, this was an absolute rout. It's the NBA. I'm not going to put a lot into, like, the records. Like, oh, two and one, you lose your first game. Or whatever. It doesn't matter. It's a 72-game season. But, I mean, that is a beatdown, especially, you know, of a team like the Clippers, which is supposed to be winning the West this year, maybe over the Lakers, to lose by 50. I mean, without Kawhi Leonard, he wasn't going to score 50, though. Well, and my take is that even if like, Kawhi affects a lot of things in the game, he's not a plus 50 guy. He might be a plus 20 guy. He's not a plus 50 guy, and certainly not a plus 50 and a half of basketball guy. Um, this is funny because there are two teams I kind of enjoy clowning on a little bit. As much as I love watching Luka Doncic play basketball, the Mavs are fun to, to clown on here in Texas. And then the Clippers are always fun because they think they're better than the Clippers. The Clippers are still the Clippers, right? Um, I looked at this... like stats in that game and couldn't really believe what was happening thought there might need to be a typo somewhere some sort of a stat correction fix it, 77 points and a half is not crazy in modern basketball you see people break 70 about once a week uh, you know and, and when the warriors were like on the 73 and 9 they were doing it maybe twice a week right this idea that you scored 27 27 and a quarter is not great anymore, right? Like 27 and a quarter is like, ooh, that was not our best quarter. 27 and a half against the Dallas Mavericks defense. And I'm not saying Dallas didn't get better. I'm sure we'll find out at the end of the year they got a lot better on defense. A year ago, the Dallas defense was like bottom tier of the league, right? And so it's not, and they didn't have KP in the middle. So it's not like you had some 7-3 guy to get over the top of. It, just the, you know, the the bigger Boban, and I, I just I can't I can't figure out what they're doing. And all of that said, right, Mount Dallas defense not being very good and whatnot. What worries me is the next day and the night after press conference out of Paul George, he's like, oh, you know what happens? And it's like, man, after what happened to y'all two months ago, you can't be like that. You can't say, oh, it happened. Like I don't. I'm not saying you got to throw guys under the bus. I'm not saying you got to throw a new coach under the bus. But just saying, eh, it happens. Like, you know, we'll be better. We'll learn from it. Like, man, you learn from a loss. You got embarrassed. <laughs> like, it's a whole different. And that that struck me as as worrisome as being down 50 at half. Like, being like, oh, it's just a thing that happens. Like, no, it really isn't. It's literally historic. It literally isn't something that just happens. Well, and as a player myself, the things that I've always looked at is, like, I'm a shooter. If my shot's not going down, I have to look at other ways to affect the game. I have to play tougher defense. I have to box out better and get more rebounds. Whatever it is, when you lose a game by 50, you can't even say, well, yeah, we had a bad shooting night and a bad defensive night at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, you know, again, if you had 27 and a quarter, that's a below average shooting, I guess, maybe around average. So you're not having a great night. The Clippers are a good team, so you'd think they'd break 30. If you had... You know, if you were down 20 or 30 at the end of the game, like, man, we really got beat up pretty bad tonight. But being down 20 at a quarter and 50 at a half, like that, that's different than just, oh, we didn't really come to play today. Like you didn't, you didn't know there was a game on the schedule. Like it it wasn't like you showed up late. You just didn't show up. Now, the last bit of basketball news I wanted to go over, uh, it was, I'm going to skip over the Zion stuff, but going to the Pacers who beat the Celtics 108-107. Um, my question for you was not so much about the game itself, but more so about uh, Sabonis, who 
very similar to his dad. And when his dad was younger, we didn't get to see him play when he was younger in the NBA uh, because he got here to, uh, he did the MLS thing and came here when he was old. Right. But, you know, Sabonis, you know, look at the first three games he had. I mean, I have it written, you know, 32, 13, and 5, 22, 10, and 11, 19, 10, and 5. He reminds me a lot of Jokic. And I'm curious, as a basketball guy yourself, what separates him? And are, are they the same or is Jokic better? What makes him better? So I think at this point, what makes them, I mean, like, obviously, Sabonis had a really good first three games. The initial thought that to my head that makes it better is like, it's Jokic done this for a lot more than a week, right? Like Jokic has done this for like the better part of his career. And like, even when he's been his, in his worst physical shape, he's always been brilliant at passing basketball. I think the funny quote from the bubble was when he lost to that weight right before the bubble, he was like, yeah, but I'm still a chubby little point guard in my heart or something. <laughs> like, he, you know, that's still, that's still what he is. And as someone who's been a former chubby guard, I can relate to that. But I think that it's when I see Sabonis's name, I obviously still go to his dad, like you say, and, Sabonis's game is the like precursor to the modern Jokic, right? The way that if you go back and watch Soviet tapes, I guess, you know, you trust Soviet tapes much you want, but <laughs> you have old Soviet tapes of Sabonis being this wizard passing the basketball. And Jokic is a point center in that sense right now too, right? And, you know, we had like Joakim Noah was a good passer, but it wasn't the same, right? And you had KG was a good distributor as a power forward, but it really wasn't the same, right? And uh, you know, there was a quadruple double game or like he was two rebound, two blocks away from quadruple double or something when Tim Duncan was in the finals, but it's, Tim Duncan really won the same. Like Jokic is a true point guard with the ball feeling kind of guy. Sabonis has had kind of a week of similar looking games. And so the first difference I think of is, yeah, it, he just needs to do it for longer. Um, Sabonis is interesting because he got criticized a lot last year when he made the all-star team, which is how you mean critical guy for making the all-star team? It just felt like everyone's like, why are we picking Sabonis? How do you make it? And now he's played for an all-star for a week. He's played like an all-star for a week, and it feels much more like he, he ought to be there again. I guess they're not going to play a game, but named a team, named to the team in March. As if I saw a full month of this, I'd put them a lot more in the same playing field. But, you know, even in Jokic's game against the Clippers on Christmas Day. Like, Jokic looks brilliant still. He looked brilliant a year ago and two years ago. In the belly-up thing, I think I picked him as my potential MVP candidate because he played so well in the bubble. I think he can really ride that momentum. Um, and so I I think the gap there is just that, like, as a guy does it more often and is more consistent with this offensive side of the game, I send it as Jokic as a much better player. But if Sabonis is doing this – still every game in two months, I'm going to look like an idiot. So yeah, that's, that's just the balance there. Um, for time restraint reasons, we're actually going to just talk about maybe one uh, NFL uh, news topic, which is uh, I wanted to get your take on this. I know you're more of a basketball guy, but um, the topic is to attack uh, Tango Vailoa, right? Who the Miami dolphins for the second time now have benched him in the fourth quarter for Ryan Fitzpatrick and the first time they lost the game because Fitzpatrick threw an interception this time they win the game because Fitzpatrick throws a bomb. But my question for you is I don't like this. I don't like putting him in, pulling him out, putting him in, pulling him out. Like he's either your quarterback or he isn't. You can't be like, Hey, he's just not our quarterback in crunch time. So it's interesting because it's certainly something I've never seen done before. This idea that you have like a relief pitcher or a closer. We talked, we joked about Mario, Mariano Rivera earlier, like that you have a quarterback like that as well. Cause in football, it's like, if you're going to play better than in the fourth quarter, you probably also play better in the first three. <laughs> There's no, it's not quite the same. Um, I, I, I don't like it as like, I don't think I could do it as a coach. If I thought this kid was better. I'd play it. If I'm a fan and my, and I think my team is better when this guy's in the field, I'm like, why aren't you playing that guy? What's I heard today on sports center. Again, I'm a teacher at home. on winter break right now. What I heard today on sports center that I thought was interesting is what does that say about the control Flores must know he has in the locker room because they won on Sunday and that's fine. But he went out there and didn't win before. And no one was like, Oh, what the heck, what the heck's going on over there? Like, the team was all like Flores did what he did. We're going to keep going. And I hadn't thought about it like that before. And so I will say that I think it was uh, Dominic Foxworth pointed out. I was like, Oh yeah, that, that's actually like having played football myself and having, you know, coached some football. I, I feel like that is an interesting take on it, but I really don't think I could do it as a coach or as a fan on my own team. If I thought a guy's better, I would just play him. And 
there didn't need to be this rush to play Tua this year, right? Like he's just a rookie. If you didn't think he had the meetings over the summer, or whatever, to be ready, like don't play him. Well, I, and I think that's what it is. Is like you said, if the guy's better, then play him the whole game. I think that Flores thinks that Fitzpatrick is better, and I think that it wasn't his decision to move on from Fitzpatrick and put Tua in. It was a an upper management. Thing, even though they were doing fine, I mean, Fitzpatrick's I think it was six and two or something like that. They, they were doing fine. But they made the switch because, like, hey, we want to put Tua in there. We drafted him with a third overall pick. We think he's ready. And I think it was much to his chagrin. So I think that he's still trying to win games. Tua does at times not look like a guy who can win a game down the stretch because he doesn't throw a great deep ball yet. You know, he's elusive in the pocket, but he still throws a lot of short passes. The games that that he plays, he'll be, you know, 18 for 26 for – 111 yards, you know, and Fitzpatrick will go out there throw for 370, you know, so he's a better passing quarterback right now, but I think that, I don't know if Flores is trying to win games and be like, listen, my job is on the line here. I need to win. Or I'm just thinking if your boss is saying you need to play the kid, I'd play the kid. I mean, the only thing I can think of is that maybe he thinks that's going to, if they lose, then playing the kid looks like it was his decision. But now this just all looks like a mess. It's a mess. I also think it's interesting that, and a lot of their wins, it didn't seem to matter who was playing quarterback, right? They had a great defense. They're forcing turnovers. This either. And the couple of wins it has looked like it was the quarterback, it's been Ryan. There's not been a game where they won because of quarterback play and it was Tua. That's not to say Tua can't be the Trent Dilfer game management type or whatever when the defense is great. But Fitzpatrick has looked like not just in Flores's eyes, like you're saying, like he has statistically and on the field looked like the better guy all year. It's just, it's an, a different situation. Well, that is our show. We uh, loved having Parker here. Obviously tune into FN sports. Um, I know that uh, anybody who loves their teachers, you know, they're going to love <laughs> hearing a teaching aspect of sports. I know that I, there's a lot of guys I would like to give an F to like any from the, from the Boston Celtics uh, as a Lakers fan. <laughs> Clearly. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I really enjoyed having you on and, and I really hope people check out the show. Cause I thought you were great. Thanks man. And thanks for having me. You know, I feel like I talked your ear off a lot, but uh, thanks for having me. It's a cool show. I, mi- I miss Sully. Maybe he can come on some other time. I enjoyed having him in the chat. <laughs> He's a funny <laughs> guy. <laughs> Uh, now at the end of the show, we like to throw it to Kenny Smith. You know, the he's got the whole saying, "It's over," or this, yeah, it's over when Vince <laughs> Carter won the dunk contest. Uh, and so I wanted to throw it. So we always throw it to to Kenny, and I was like, "If you wanted to give it, you throw it to Kenny. We'll uh, wrap it up." <laughs> All right, what you got, Kenny? <laughs> oh, I had the ball. It's over, ladies and gentlemen. 